WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQ&A. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week we're chatting with an old friend. Uh, he's the founder of ComicsBookCase.com, a writer for The Beat, and the writer of the uh, Kickstarter one-shot Next Door. It's Zach Quaintance. Uh, Zach, welcome back. It has been a minute. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you guys about this. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, let's let's dive into it. So uh, you're, you're here promoting Next Door. It's a Kickstarter. Kickstarter I think it just launched today, uh, in fact. Yeah, I went live this morning at 10 a.m. and I've been basically moving from thing to thing ever since. Yeah, so, uh, you know, mazel tov on the birth of your Kickstarter baby. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but uh, with, uh, alongside uh, Pat Scott, Ellie Wright, and uh, Hassan Otsman Elhow, uh, what is the, uh, the elevator pitch for this book? Uh, we don't have a good one, quite frankly, no. Uh, it's a, it's a neo-noir uh, comic about uh, paranoia, privilege, and walking your dog gone wrong is the elevator pitch. Um, it, it has a lot to do with, with sort of, um, I move, I've moved around a lot as an adult and, uh, it has a lot to do with like what, what's the worst possible way to move into a neighborhood where you're pushing other people out. And it's kind of an examination of oblivious privilege and how everyone, uh, plays a role in this housing crisis that that's going on in the country. Um, there's a little bit of satire, a little bit of crime comics and, uh, a lot of calling myself out in certain ways. So, uh, I, Matt, you have a long history with Kickstarters. You know, uh, you, you, you talk every once in a while about being the whale for your comic shop, but I would argue that you are also a whale for, for, for Kickstarters. 107 as of today. hey Not all of them successful, but <laughs> I looked, and when I backed next door, that made 107. So. Wow. It's admirable. Um. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my wallet my wife might not necessarily agree with that but um. <laughs> well i i was i was looking at my own total say i think i'm up around 50 or 60 and i actually i ex actually ended up backing three new ones today oh, wow. so if, if this pace keeps up every day of the kickstarter i'll end up losing a ton of money on this thing <laughs> just because I'm, <laughs> I'm spending so much time on kickstarter that i'm inevitably backing more of them um but Matt, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, you know, when you when you back these these many projects, you know, what are kind of the some of the things that that you look for? That is a really good question. <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes it's just a flashy pitch. I mean, creators whose names I know uh, are, are always helpful. That's kind of obvious. I mean, mm -hmm. the first one I ever backed was the first one out of Tesla Dine, the atomic robo people. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, IDW's kill Shakespeare board game because I love all things Shakespeare because I'm that nerd. Um, <laughs> but I mean, since then it's been a lot of creators. I know it's been people who've reached out to the site about, you know, Hey, I've got this Kickstarter and I'll, I'll almost always back something I've written up because if you're willing to, to push your book, I'm willing to support your book. Uh, I mean, it's probably 85% of that hundred and something Kickstarters are comics. There's some board games in there 
and I do my best to avoid the enamel pin corner of Kickstarter. Mm. But sometimes, like again, there's an Atomic Robo one up right now that's Atomic Robo enamel pins. It's like, ooh, Atomic Robo. And I got, and since they don't listen to this, I can say it. Um, for my gaming group, there was a one for enamel pins of magical animal like familiars and mm -hmm. so i got a couple of those because a couple of the people i play with have had characters that have had familiars that match those animals like oh that's a nice little wacky gift i i could back more is the main problem i could always <laughs> back more but yeah i mean and i've had a really good fortune in that i've never backed one of those kickstarters that the creators just kind of disappeared yeah. and never did yeah. anything. Uh, I do have one that is a few years overdue, but I personally know the creators and they had, one of them had a, a family issue that took them away from being able to produce anything for over a year. So it's like, okay, you know, you gotta, you've got to kind of understand with a Kickstarter that things can come up, but I've, been fortunate in that regard because i know people who have horror stories and there, i haven't had one yet there's definitely a part to like when you're setting one up and figuring it how to how to market it like you have to do a certain amount of what what do i do to make sure everyone who looks at this trusts me to complete it like it's a really weird thing to have to like check uh on a list of things to do but there is definitely a lot of like how can i convince people this is a real thing so <laughs> i think that's a big part of it yeah. On the uh, on the subject of enamel pins, Matt, where do you, where do yours go? Are you hiding like a Jansport or maybe a Canadian tuxedo uh, somewhere? Uh, actually, I've in general bought them for Amber, who has them on a bag. Okay. I got one of uh, uh, it was one that was a set of three, but one of them was a cat curled up on a laptop. So it's like okay, that one absolutely speaks to our household and, and somewhere one of the other ones in that set was a grim reaper cat. And that's going to find somewhere on my, you know, con going body when there are cons again, whether it's on my, my briefcase or whatever, mm -hmm. but yeah, someday I will have somewhere to put them. I just, at this point I'm accumulating handfuls of them. <laughs> um, Zach, since you also have a few dozen uh, Kickstarters under your belt, you know, what, what are kind of the things that are, are, you know, red flags for backing or not red flags, but like, what are the things that draw you to back them? Yeah. I mean, so I, there's a little bit of overlap with what Matt was talking about. Like uh, big name creators always pull me in. And then I have a similar thing where if I end up writing a preview for a Kickstarter, I think I've backed 100% of the Kickstarters I've written previews for both for my own site and for the beat. Mm -hmm. um, I just feel like by the time I'm done looking at their stuff and writing it up, I'm like, I may as well read this thing you know, and, <laughs> and, and support it. Um, there's also like I, the weirder, I guess the, the weirder and more idiosyncratic the idea, uh, the more likely I am to actually back it because I feel like one of the, the main strengths of Kickstarter is it's such a great home for stuff you can't neatly put in boxes and mm -hmm. you can't, you can't really, uh, envision at larger publishers so that I'm drawn to a lot of those sort of Kickstarters are just like, Oh, this is a statement about the environment uh, played out by a bunch of characters who are blobs. I'm 100% back that book. <laughs> yep. I just uh, wrote up and should be going up on the site 
soon uh, Black is the New Noir, a collection of uh, noir crime comics from Black creators. And it's like that uh, noir crime comics are kind of my, one of my things to begin with. But man, it's like, you, you just, you read about, you read what they said and it's like, okay, you got me. You, you got me on that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm backing that Kickstarter as well. <laughs> I got it today. Yep. <laughs> so uh, next door, uh, how long have you been working on this project? I know it's uh, fully scripted, like halfway drawn. Yeah, so we started it right when the quarantine started. Like I've known Pat Scott, the artist, uh, for a little while. Um, and he reached out to me and said, uh, you want to do like a five-page comic? Like this was maybe the weekend when everything shut down, like after Tom Hanks got the coronavirus and the NBA stopped playing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Every, the day everything changed. Um, <laughs> so, we, so we started doing this five page, it was going to be five pages, uh, black and white, and he was going to letter the thing himself. And it, tur- like, it turned out so well and we were having uh, so much, not quite fun, but we were just having a really good creative relationship working on it. Uh, so we ended up ex- expanding and expanding and pretty soon it became uh, full length. Um, I think we decided to take it to Kickstarter towards the end of April. Um, mm-hmm. We were like, we should get someone to color this and a, and a pro to letter it and uh, more people to put eyes on it. Um. You know, talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned this already is kind of inspired by the fact that, that you and your wife have moved cities a whole bunch uh, the last few years. You know, how, how does all that, you know, I'm not looking for you to give away story points, obviously, but like, how does all that moving around kind of change your view of, I don't know, America, yeah. <laughs> urban living? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a funny thing about it is I actually hate moving. Like it's, I, I hate it so much. I can see why does, behind you. Yeah. yeah. Does <laughs> like anyone like moving? I really don't think anyone does. All right. Yeah, all right. I'm going to answer that, actually, because uh, like the fir- my first few years out of college, me and my roommates moved around a lot, just like within the county, like wherever like rent was cheap. <laughs> was cheapest and we were actually okay we had like down to a science stuff you'd ask me to do it now you know <laughs> yeah, 12 yeah. 11 12 years into living in this house yeah not so much <laughs> i mean there's like people who grow like military brats i've i've known as adults that love just love moving around and that mm-hmm. and that kind of thing but i lived in the same house for like 20 years when i was a kid mm-hmm. like we never moved and now as an adult i've moved like clockwork every two and a half years on average like and not these are not not same city moves like these are significant like chicago to texas to california to dc Mm -hmm. um and so i think one of the main things that makes the book work or pushes the plot forward is one of the characters is a giant whiny baby about moving (laughs) that's based significantly on uh me being uh my worst self i guess that's a lot of the a lot of the story is pushed by the by ratcheting up these characters into just uh, their worst selves or like their worst impulses. And I think, I don't know, I think Matt, maybe you can speak to this, but I think that works really well in noir a lot of times, um, bringing out the worst in people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I, what was it? yesterday I listened to an, uh, audio adaptation of, um, Oh God, I'm now blanking on which of the it was a Dashiell Hammett and my brain is just losing sure. the name of it uh, and yeah I mean people are 
in a noir world, people are inherently selfish. It, it, selfish is almost the, is definitely the default and almost the best case scenario. Because if you're not selfish, you're malicious. There is next to no character who is out for other people. And if they are, they're the character who dies at the beginning. Um, a, a lot of what we did in this one too, is the, the, the way I guess the like terribleness manifests with these people is nobody, everyone's aggressively paranoid. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with writing this in the quarantine, like especially in the early days when uh, we didn't, I mean, who knew with the economy and everything, like everything just seemed like it was falling to pieces. Not that it's that much better right now. But, we totally have our shit together now. Yeah, yeah. We've all, we've, we've recovered so nicely and it's like yeah. halcyon days we're living yes. in right now. We've all yes, learned how to, how to sacrifice as a nation together. <laughs> we've um, come to accept that everything is falling apart. Great. And, social, and social media, so helpful. Such a, <laughs> such a font of verifiable information. I, I, no, I think I think it's like we we have hit a cruising a cruising altitude with our chaos and misery these days like, <laughs> that we made, that we didn't have in March. Um, yeah, so a lot of what I was writing was just people being paranoid and expecting the worst of their neighbors, and I think part of that was influenced by uh, the main thing happening outside was that your neighbor could potentially kill you by breathing on you. Mm-hmm. Um, also, still a thing right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I, I'm just curious, have you ever had in real life the nightmare neighbor? Because brother, I've got some stories, but uh I've had plenty of I mean, I I think every neighbor I has been a variety of nightmare neighbor that I've I've seen to have. I mean, like I've had the neighbors that are very very retired um have never lived in an apartment before and, and pound on your ceiling basically all day long until they go to sleep um i've had uh i had neighbors in austin texas who just listened to death metal seemingly 24 hours a day like it never stopped I, how do these people sleep the only thing i could figure was they were sleeping while i was at work during the day because um, whenever i was home there was death metal playing through my floor um and when I, when I first moved in here, I had the, uh, the surliest old man neighbor um, I've ever had in my life who would just kind of scoff, like you say, hey, how's it going? And he'd just go, huh, every time. And that was the extent of our interactions. Ah, oh, boy. I, uh, I had neighbors similar to the death metal neighbors, except it, uh, it was 2007. So it was the height of reggaeton. Uh, oh, as yeah. as a popular musical genre, and so it was that that same like doom, 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 that beat through our walls. Uh, for that, that was that's pretty phenomenal beatboxing you just did there. <laughs> Is that like a hobby? Or... <laughs> I, I studied under Biz Marquis. Yeah. Uh, did an internship. <laughs> the, the the building that my wife and I lived in before we bought our own house, and this building was we realized we needed to buy our own house after living in this, but it was four apartments. And when we initially, you know, met with the landlord, she said she'd been looking for the, the, the right people to move in. What she meant, what we did not realize was the white people oh. to move in. Mm-hmm. So there is some of that with the housing. Um, but the, she probably should have 
check references better uh, because the people who wound up moving in shortly after we did who lived across the hall, yeah, uh, heroin addicts. Uh, or at least one of the couple was. And, uh, you know, she kept hiding her kit outside the house so the boyfriend couldn't find it while there were kids in the neighborhood. So one day I just, you know, slipped it into a trash bag and threw it in the trash down the block. Uh, Because, yeah, um, never knew it was me. I doubt she listens to this podcast, so she never will. But... (laughs) Uh, that they were, they would fight constantly and loudly. And at one point, when he was talking about leaving, she chased him out of the house, hitting him with the broom. And when he got in the car, she jumped up on the hood of the car and started hitting the car with the broom. It, it was a thing. It uh, was a thing. After hearing that story, I want to change my answer to no. I've never had a nightmare neighbor. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they rarely interacted with us except when she was trying to bum money for, you know, probably more drugs. Said it was for the cable or the heat or whatever, but it was probably drugs. Huh. <laughs> now, see, I was going to start telling neighbor stories, but I feel like I can't compete with that. And in fact, I know I can't. So, so Zach, uh, tell me, you know, you already talked about kind of you and Scott coming together. Uh, tell me about assembling the rest of your team. You know, how did you come by uh, Ellie and, and uh, Haas? Yeah, I mean, it's really deep admiration of both their work is the simple answer there. Um, Ellie's, Ellie's work was something that Pat was really, was really um, drawn to specifically and just thought it would, it would fit the tone of the story. And I absolutely agreed when, when I saw it. And what was really cool was as soon as she saw the line work, like he's done a lot of the, a lot of the line work for the book is done. We're just trying to kickstart the money to get it colored and lettered. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as she saw the line work, she was all in on the project. Like we, like there was a real, like, I guess sort of mutual admiration between them for their work. And I think it shows in the preview art um, that we have up on the campaign page. Like it just fits together really well and does this sort of like uh uh, domesticity thing, which is where the book starts before going to sort of darker places. Um, and then Haas, I just think is one of the best letterers. I mean, if you watch uh, strip panel naked, it's like mm-hmm. the, his command of craft and like how to lead the eye is so cool. And I also think um, every page he does, he tries something different. Like there's just a lot of risk taking with the way he letters comics. Um, so that was, he was kind of like just right at the, uh, top of the list and I also felt like a sort of a uh, um, solidarity for people doing comics criticism and reporting yeah absolutely in the trenches like all of us right <laughs> yeah <laughs> toiling away uh, in the content mines <laughs> not for the glamour or the money <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> the I had PDFs. That at uh at New York comic-con this year when I was I was getting ready to cover uh Todd McFarlane was having like a big panel celebrating spawns like 300 and whatever issue you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i had to wait in line to get in i had to wait in line for 90 minutes with like all these dudes with like wagons full of old image comics from the 90s and i was like oh man uh comics journalism so glamorous (laughs) (laughs) it was fun though todd mcfarlane is a hell of a motivational speaker (laughs) let's give him that is that documentary that Sci-Fi Channel was doing about him aired yet? Yeah, I think, I think it's 
I think it just did like this past week. Um, look, I like I saw him speak in San Diego and it may have changed my life. Like I've never been so fired up when I came out of any room. Like, he was just like yelled at the crowd for like 60 minutes about how we could all create something magnificent. Um, I can't even really like, I've talked to other people incidentally who are in that room who, who agree with it. I can't even really like, it sounds absolutely ridiculous to say that, but it was, it was a formative experience. Interesting. Todd McFarlane, Tony Robbins of comics. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's a nail on the head. That's exactly what it was like. Do you have any favorite noir crime stories in comics or elsewhere? Oh man. I'm so glad you asked that question. I just read, I'm obsessed with these, uh, New York review book paperbacks. I don't know. This is, I'm sure your listeners are going to love this line of conversation. <laughs> but, uh, Listen, uh, this week's or last week's show uh, at, at the end, we just like gave up on comics and it was me and Jason Howard just basically talking about dad stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll go on my really esoteric uh, paperback rant and tangent. <laughs> um, so the New York review books for the last, like, I don't know what it's been like seven or eight years has been basically rediscovering these like lost novels, essay collections, short stories, and, and, putting them back out in like really stylish paperbacks for like 14 bucks or something like that. And they're really strange. They're all really strange and really excellent. And I just read this uh, book called in a lonely place. Um, and they made it into a movie with, I think it was Humphrey Bogart was the, was the lead. And it's, it's probably the best noir novel I've ever read. It's like really, it was written in like 1947 and it's like a really thorough examination of toxic masculinity that like flips a lot of the tropes of the time on, on their ear. And it's just like, I can't really go into too much of it without spoiling the twist. Cause there is like, it's predicated on a huge twist, but uh, I would highly recommend tracking down that book in a lonely place. Um, became quickly an all time noir favorite of mine that I, I was actually reading while I wrote uh, a lot of this script, especially the end of it. Uh, not to give anything away, but there is a twist. I mean, it's, <laughs> kind of uh to be expected i suppose part of the part of the genre most assuredly yes 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 no i don't know but i i I have a long reading list like i i've been intending to read uh everything raymond chandler's ever written it's like my next up or whatever so that's a project i think for the second half of the year i'm going to try to uh to go through his books in the order they were written what about you Matt? you got any recommendations uh i mean any of the the Donald Westlake stuff, the the Parker novels. Oh, the Parker novels, yes, yes, and the graphic novel adaptation, fantastic the, as well. Yeah, Darwin I mean, Cook. I I read the Darwin Cook ones first, and then went and read the the other read the original novels too, and they're just they're so friggin' good. Yeah, that's about as good as it gets. With that, that's probably my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have such a recency bias when anyone asks me what my favorite anything is. It's usually like, what did I read last month? But yeah, those, the Parker <laughs> novel is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and also since the trailer for it just dropped, uh, you can rarely find better noir on TV than uh, FX's Fargo. Oh yeah, yeah, neo-noir. Yeah, that's yeah. like how it's done basically. Yeah, the, the trailer for the fourth season just dropped a couple days ago and Jason Schwartzman and Chris Rock heading up rival crime families. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm all in. You, you got me with that sentence. (laughs) And and 
apparently from you don't get it from the trailer but from reading some of the initial plot synopsis there's a little bit of uh jack kirby the pact in there no kidding yeah yeah so i am very curious about the new season of fargo when it drops later this year is it all done like didn't didn't tv have to just stop being made like suddenly I'm pretty sure that most that that was kind of been done and FX just sort of decides to drop things in their own particular weird time. So, cause they've been, I mean, they announced the cast a year ago and they put big gaps in between those seasons. So I have a feeling like that's been done and it might've been one of those cases of FX that initially wanted to drop it earlier, but was like, no, we don't know when we're getting new TV, so let's stretch this out a bit. We, we, we've got some other stuff to drop now, so we'll, we'll wait on this one. But Yeah, I'd sort of steeled myself that we just weren't going to have new TV for uh, the foreseeable future. You know, it's crazy. I was talking to a, a friend yesterday, and she told me apparently they're getting ready to start filming like soap operas again. Like, I don't know if it was, it was like General Hospital, All My Children, whatever ones are left. Yeah. And, yeah. And then apparently Shang-Chi is getting ready to start filming again. Well, I was reading something about how they, they, they may start filming things again, but just change the way they do it so people are never within six feet of each other, which seems particularly difficult with a soap opera, like it's predicated on a lot of physical contact. Yeah. And, and, and also superhero movies. I mean, how are you going to have hallway fights? <laughs> you can't you can't have be with or elevator fights <laughs> oh no there's there's been some some of the new tv that has dropped over the course of the past couple of months i think you can tell that it's filmed it, like they're using a lot of trick shots or uh, like yeah that is clearly a virtual background even though it's a good one to get these two people in the same place. It's like how they right. filmed season four of Arrested Development. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Stuff like that. Or just, are, are we going to just start seeing every season premiere be an animated episode? For... <laughs> it's, it's all going to be like that one episode of The Blacklist from here on out. <laughs> yeah. You know, animation will keep coming because at this yeah. point, most of the professional voice actors have home studios. So you can still do your animated series. At least you can still do the recording. And hey, we might see the, the, a renaissance for uh, old-time-esque radio drama. Because, you, you know, you can, you can do that with no contact. So uh, Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, uh, it's time to start churning out some more thrilling adventure hour. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. But uh, yeah, get, so getting back to comics, uh, I, uh, I, I made a note, left a note in here for Matt uh, <laughs> when I saw that Pat Scott uh, had a previous Kickstarter for a project called The Space Wolf. Um, yeah, how did, how did you get, well, first of all, how did you guys kind of find each other? Uh, I, I knew Pat, like, just, he started rep- responding to me on Twitter. Um, I guess we met on Twitter, really. And... I think he's originally from Sacramento where I was living at the time, which is like, you don't meet a lot of people from Sacramento for whatever reason. You don't meet a lot of people who've ever been to Sacramento. Like it's, it's like a weird, uh, why would you go there? Right. I love Sacramento, by the way. I don't need 
angry Sacramento listeners for your podcast. <laughs> I would have never moved. I thought I was going to die there. I loved it so much. But the um, band Cake just stopped listening. Cake is from there, yeah. <laughs> I also like the band Cake quite a bit, so I don't want. But um, we I knew him that way because he was he was we were kind of living in the same area, and then I uh, I bought, I'd been following him as well, and had seen Sp- Space Wolf and some of the commissions he'd been doing, and just. He uh, shows a lot of like work in progress and stuff, and it just regularly been commenting on his work. Hey, this is awesome, um, which is a good way to get to know artists. I find is just expressing your appreciation for their work. Uh, so yeah, that was. I mean, that was kind of how we came together, I suppose. Um, just talking talking about the Space Wolf again. Uh, this makes us three for three on wolf-based content. <laughs> <laughs> on the show because we got a, we got into some werewolf chat the uh the previous two weeks and i mentioned that to matt and he drops this link in our show notes let me see if i can uh share screen and bring this up this is this is pretty freaking great um you know that t-shirt that's the 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 three wolves baying at the at the moon yeah oh it's, wow yes yeah. <laughs> it's three wolf moon with john ralphio from parks and Rec. yeah is that Etsy or is what? Who made that? I, I it's something that I s- just saw somewhere at one point, and I saved the link because it's like someday I should own this. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty spectacular. <laughs> oh, Ben Schwartzman, Ben Schwartz, you are you are a delight. There's three of them. That's what really. That's what really does it. If there was just one or two, it wouldn't be as great. <laughs> Comedy rule of three. <laughs> that's true. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So you know, you mentioned this already. You know, when you went looking for a, a letterer, you 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 brought in the modern goat, man. Uh, you know, Haas is amazing, and I'm a yeah. huge fan of his work, especially some of the recent stuff he's done. Um, uh. Undone by Blood, uh, even Black hit, like, Stars hit this, Above was a Black Stars of Above, and, yeah. and his quote the lettering he does on Quantum and Woody also very good. Yeah, um, <laughs> Haas is not just Canada. for Zach Thompson and Lottie Nadler projects, <laughs> but uh, you know I imagine when you bring Hassan uh, on a project, you know you end up learning something. You know how how did having him, uh, you know lettering this kind of change the game for you guys? Yeah. I think you, I think there's also like just someone who's done that many great comics. You feel like what it, it imbues you with a sense of legitimacy that you maybe didn't feel as much before, especially with this being my debut comic, having someone who, who uh, is that good at what he does really was like uh, just great for confidence and stuff. And, and, um, and you also kind of want to like level up your own game to when you're working with people like that it really pushes you to uh uh hit another gear i guess creatively to kind of live up to the uh um good work that they're all doing i mean i don't want to i don't want to waste you have someone that excellent lettering i don't want to waste it on like crummy comic you know <laughs> it's like extra extra motivation as well legitimacy motivation um and it like like i was reading some preview pages this morning just kind of going over what i wanted to have on the kickstarter and what i wanted to like pass around for the preview and was amazed at how just the way it can lead your eye through the page or his work can lead your eye through the page and, and kind of pick up uh, what I was doing, make it pithier and, and sort of 
help with the the pacing as well. I think that's a lesson that I can learn um, with writing dialogue too. So I don't know, man, I have nothing but good things to say. I put this in one of the marketing things I wrote for it that I've never been so happy to be the weak link on a chain as I am with this project. Um, you've got, you got a pretty modest, you know, uh, kind of threshold for, for this project, 2750. Um, you know, what, what costs are you, you know, looking to cover? Pre, uh, um, pre stretch goals, of course. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, like, uh, like Pat and I had already sort of, uh, we were going to do this comic, just the two of us. So that had already been, uh, managed, uh, mm -hmm. taken care of. Like we were, we were prepared. We had everything in line, like with his time taken care of in mind. And, uh, so the money is basically to get it colored and lettered and then print it, like, uh, mm -hmm. cover it. Uh, if we do get the stretch goals, we have some other cool plans, like expanding it with extra artists and pinups and stuff like that. Um, that would be helpful. But the, the initial goal, yeah, we kept it. It's my first Kickstarter. I don't, and I don't want to just show up on the platform demanding a, a ton of money. Um, so we did everything we could to, to, to not be asking that much and to just kind of be like, we need this much to color it, this much to letter it, this much to print it. Um, anything past, I mean, obviously we're hoping to, to go a little bit past that, the stretch goals, but, uh, that's the bare minimum just to get the thing made. Mm. Um, overall, you know, what are, what are some of the things you kind of, f you feel like you learned about making comics from this whole experience? Man, I will tell you this much. Like I, like sort of, I don't know how many, I'm sure you, you've seen your fair share of press releases and continue to see them marketing mm -hmm. comics that is hard. Like writing a good one of those is very, very hard. Like, like it's not, you could read a hundred of them and still have no idea how to do it. Like, uh, I'm actually doing a blog on my site. That's going to be a mix of like my most embarrassing missteps with this thing. And one of them was the first description I'd written for the book was something like death of a salesman meets uh, Noah Baumbach movies, which is a terrible description for anything, let alone a comic <laughs> book. Like, and uh, I don't know if you, do you know David Hyde? Um, super yeah. Fan? Yep. Yeah. I, I was, I, I know he's a great guy. He's really helpful. He's very like pro, like if you're doing stuff in comics, he wants to help you. So I was running some stuff by him and he was just like, I think what you have here is really cool and it's really marketable, but this death of a salesman Baumbach thing, like, that's not it, man. Like, that's not, that's not going to do it for you. Um, so I don't know how to quantify that into like an easy lesson, but I guess it's just like, uh, take the marketing seriously. Like it's such a big part of like, like, uh, getting your story to people. Um, don't, don't think it's going to be easier than it is because it's very difficult. Um, Scrolling down through the Kickstarter, you've got yourself some nice uh, blurbs from Zach Thompson, uh, Mike Morisi. You know, were you nervous kind of seeking out those those words uh, in advance of the project? Yeah, incredibly. I mean, I hate asking anyone for anything. Like, I just hate it. I'm I'm very like I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> like, I'm repressed. Like, I don't want to ask anybody to do anything for me. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was really hard uh, to just say, "Hey, could you do this for me?" But both of those guys were incredible. And, and it's weird too, when you're doing a Kickstarter, you don't always have a totally finished product to show somebody like we don't, we don't have everything lettered yet, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so you kind of have to ask people to blurb the potential of the, uh, of the project. Um, and I asked those two because I like, I've, I've interviewed both of them multiple times. I think I've written about their comics. We've interacted. Like I know them like, um, 
and yeah, so it's kind of weird to be like, hey, can you talk about, hey man, can you talk about my potential? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but they were both awesome. And Zach especially was like really excited. I was doing, I was doing my own comic after, um, it's, I feel like I've been talking about it forever. Like even since I started my website, like I, like that's, I've been wanting to make comics and it's just like, there's so many moving parts to get in line. And I finally, uh, with the quarantine, had the time and the like final push to get, get to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And now, uh, perhaps the most important question about next door. Um, what can you tell me about the dog? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is a question. People are concerned about that dog. Um, <laughs> the, the dog's a key character, man. I, the book begins and ends with the dog. Um, as it should. As, yeah, <laughs> it, nothing, nothing works without the dog either. The dog, when, uh, when we had the dog, we had the, uh, the story. I can tell you the dog's name is Rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a sort of ill-defined uh, Labrador mutt. Um, he's, he's liable to roam, which, which incites a lot of our, our plot into action is him getting out and roaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people bringing him back may also lead to some of the, uh, the, what happens in the book, like people trying to help and be like, Hey, your dog got out, um, with paranoia in the, in the pitch line, you can maybe guess a little bit about what happens, but, um, I wouldn't worry too much about the dog either. So, so okay. there, there, there is violence <laughs> in the book, but the dog is probably not going to be involved with much of it. I, I just can't do, I'm like, may, not with my first comic. I'm not going to show up and be like, I killed the dog. <laughs> you become um, that guy. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, well, I'm not right, you become Jody LaHup. Have you read the weatherman? <laughs> I did read the weatherman. That was the book I was thinking when I said that, like that guy showed up, I was like, I'm killing the dog. <laughs> Spoiler alert for the weatherman from several years ago, by the way. <laughs> They kill the dog. Yeah, that was a big no moment. <laughs> it was like, wasn't it like the first issue? Like there was it was like, halfway welcome- through the first issue, yeah. man. All of a sudden, it just takes a turn. <laughs> welcome to our comic. We're killing the dog violently. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stick around for issue two. Uh, no, but uh, you know, let, let's you know, you, you've got plenty uh, of other stuff going on. Uh, you know. Uh, you first came on the show. We were talking about uh, your, your site, uh, Comics Bookcase. Uh, you know, which is certainly, you know, grown over the past couple of years, you know, what what do you kind of feel like, uh, or how do you kind of feel like the site has changed, you know, beyond obviously not being called Batman's bookcase anymore? Yeah, yeah, formerly Batman's bookcase, uh, rest in peace due to intellectual property ownership concerns. So <laughs> <laughs> not that anyone ever contacted me, but it was always this thing I was like, oh, no. And plus, I got really tired of everyone thinking I was obsessed with Batman. Like, I don't like Batman more than any anyone else does, you know? Like, uh-huh. I don't dislike Batman, but I'm not, like, a Batman super fan. And I'd, like, I don't know if I mentioned this, if I've told you this before, but I would, like, go to cons and people would be like, hey, it's Batman. And like, my name is not Batman. <laughs> it was just, like, way too close of an association. Um <laughs> Uh, there are still people I think don't know my name and, and think of me as Batman, but, um, uh, on a, on a content, I think the, the site is, is moved a little bit away from covering superhero stuff. Just mm-hmm. like, it's just, it just doesn't feel fun as fun after a while. These are two, two giant corporations. Like, I think we've moved a little bit more towards covering, um, like, like, uh, indie comics and like we do Kickstarter mm-hmm. previews now a little bit more, um, and then the corporations we do cover tend to be uh, in more depth tend to be like uh, book market publishers, like a lot of like uh, the uh, like scholastic 
we've been covering their books. Um, Fantagraphics. I mean, not they're a big corporation or anything, but the, tend to like their releases a lot. I think I think we've just done a lot of like like I I don't have any kind of like uh, budget. Like there's no money made for the site, so it's like hard to 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 keep up with bigger sites that that operate in a lot of the like daily stuff. Mm-hmm. So we've taken a step back and started writing about like. Uh, graphic novels and like older comics and things like that. I don't know, man, like there's never been a plan with that website. It's always just been a like kind of mix of like, uh, wanting to give something back to the industry and feel like I'm a part of it and also adding to it, you know? Um, and, uh, also like, and then selfishly there's like a networking component to it. Like a lot of the people, um, like Zach and, and Mike Marisi, like I wouldn't have been in a position to ask them for blurbs if I wasn't doing that site. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess that's what I try to put into the industry and then meet people through it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I think that I've really enjoyed that I think we, that I've been doing well is those reading lists. Like, I feel like there's a, there's a need for like uh, content cur- curation a little bit. Like, uh, like, like we're doing like more like, um, horror comics reading lists, like things like that. Not, not like continuity based, like, Oh, read in this order, but like, here's the good stuff. You know, um, that was always something I was frustrated with. Um, before I was like part of the comics internet is like knowing how to find the good stuff. Um, so that's something I've been trying to do a little bit of, I don't know. I have no idea like how the site's perceived or what it's places or anything like that. I just kind of have a compulsive habit with it (laughs) at this point. Like, like I want to get three posts up a day and I want people to like them. Yeah, no, I get, believe me, I get that. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of reading lists, you know, I, I was, I was really impressed with your, uh, the, the coronavirus le- reading list that you did uh, this yeah. spring. You got a lot of, you got a lot of names, a lot of, a lot of known quantities to uh, contribute to that. I know. I mean, I, it's, it's, yeah. Like people were, um, people were super generous. Like, I don't even know. I was kind of, there were some people I, I, um, would reach out to and be shocked that they were down to, down to be part of it. Um, and then, and then I, I was, yeah, I love that thing. And like the, it was like a holiday when the recommendations would come back, like when people were, were being part of it. Cause I never knew what direction they were going to go. Like I could never guess who was mm-hmm. going to rep recommend a web comic, manga, whatever it may be. And it was all so good. Like everything everybody recommended was, was so excellent. Um, yeah, I kind of, it was a ton of work and it was really demanding, but I sort of missed doing that. That was, that was a blast to, um, and whatever it was about the early months of, of being at home, people were like super down, I think, to be like, here's what I'm reading. Um, that was, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, I don't mean, I was considering trying to make it like an annual thing. I, I, hopefully there won't be a quarantine every year. It's like um, maybe next year for sure at this time we'll still be a little limited, but um, yeah, that was awesome. And like I said, like it, shout out to everyone who did that because that was amazing and them to be game to just be part of this thing. Uh, you know, and then meanwhile, you're also writing over at, at the beat, uh, which has been kind of on its own little ride recently you know went back out on its own after being under polarity for a time you know yeah. uh, from your perspective do you feel like things have changed there or you know is it you know kind of just keep on keeping on uh i both kind of a lot of people left when it when it uh, went out from under polarity and i get it like i'm lucky enough to be in a position where um uh i just kind of do it because i love it like i like um 
I just like writing about comics, you know, a lot of people kind of went on to, I guess, sort of greener pastures without, without financial backing and the resources we had, you know, but uh, plenty of people did stay and it doesn't, I don't know. I don't think it's like that, that noticeable that things have changed there. Like, unless you're following, like, I think if you're just a reader, I don't know if you'd notice as acutely. Um, Yeah. I'll keep doing that forever. I also feel like Heidi McDonald, the founder and and guru behind the beat is an incredible mentor to have. And I really appreciate, um, being able to bounce things off of her and just kind of like watch how she operates within comics. Cause I think she is a person that adds quite a bit to comics. It's like, uh, I would love to be able to, to do a little, to just continue to learn from her basically. Um, plus I get to write about Batman, which everyone knows I love. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so listen, you're not the only person on this zoom call who, uh, made a website that was Batman had like some element of Batman in the name. Oh no, kidding, Matt. Is that? Matt? Is that yeah. <laughs> I can. I can see you had to look like. Yeah, I made a Batman sign. <laughs> well, Listen, long long before there was WMQ Comics, there was the Matt Signal. Oh, nice. And yeah. I am that Batman super fan. Yeah. I I am that guy. <laughs> I have so much Batman stuff. Although he's never been called Batman at a con, to my knowledge. No, I well, yeah, not. <laughs> You put Matt in the name. That was wise. Like no one was going to confuse your name. That is true. Yeah. No, I mean, I, there's the Batman pun, but at least I got the name in there. Yeah. Yeah. That was smart. <laughs> um, it's, it's been, you know, just kind of talking about the, the industry in general, it has been a very, a super meaty year, <laughs> you know, with, between uh, the, the cons getting canceled and the diamond shut down and the, the, raft of stories about harassment in the industry and everybody having to come to terms with Warren Ellis being a sex creep and DC kick, yeah, DC kicking diamond to the curb, Denny O'Neill dying, the resurgence of comics gate. I, I, I just started listing these and I was just like, Oh God, I've, I've written that we didn't start the fire parody just now. <laughs> I, I just didn't put it to music and, yeah. and you know, you're all very lucky that I haven't, but anyway, <laughs> with all of that going on, uh, you know, do you feel like this has been a more challenging year to be in the, in the comics journalism business? God. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, and it just because like we were talking about earlier, like what to be a comics journalist, even, even I think the people who are at the top of it, like you have to love comics. Like there's, it's, you're not, you're, you're not doing it for any other reason. Like there's mm-hmm. really, and it's the, like even in Jul- July for me, it just got to, it just got to be so much with the comics gate resurgence. Like there's just yeah. days I don't want to be on Twitter at all. Like with, with all this shit, you know? Um, yeah, I think it's been really challenging. And you know what? There's like five months of this year left. Like it's just it's oh, barely half done. Yeah, guys, put band-aids on your nipples. This is a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, how are you feeling? Like, are, like, is it? Are we gonna do? You want to do like a support group kind of? Like, I could use it. Like, <laughs> it's been hard, man. It's been uh, hard. There's been days where it's just like, why am I doing this? There's days where it's like, can I just read a comic by someone I like? that's a fun story and just sit back and smile and that brings me back to next door where the dog doesn't die <laughs> <laughs> on kickstarter now <laughs> oh that's the ta- that's the tagline <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus christ but also uh, and most importantly uh, beyond all that stuff um how has the fame that comes with tweeting about Nightwing's butt changed you? Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, Nightwing's butt went right to my head. Like, 
that tweet's going to be, I've, I've made this joke before, but that tweet's going to be on my, my tombstone. Like it'll just be like, here lies. And then that tweet with that photo of, of uh, Nightwing. Yeah. Just get the Nicholas Scott art just engraved <laughs> on the tombstone. <laughs> that, that was absurd. Like, and I never, I was so vain about it. I didn't turn off the notifications. Like I was like, bring them all in, just let, let them roll in. So like, <laughs> I just wave after wave and my favorite, there was like subsets of different notification types within that because it ended up getting like 58,000 likes or something like that. And my favorite, uh, my favorite type of notification was the person who was totally unaware of this thing about Nightwing, who was just like, what is going on with Nightwing's ass? Like, <laughs> just totally confused and had no idea that Robin, this is what had happened. Um, and that came in all different languages. Like I learned how to say but in Portuguese, bundo, I believe. <laughs> yeah. I still get, every once in a while, that tweet comes back around. It'll have a few dozen people interacting with it. Oh, man. Yeah, they like wrote something about that week about like someone at DC corporate was like, we got to this is lightning in a bottle. We got to get something on dccomics.com. And they like wrote an appreciation post on dccomics.com about Nightwing's butt that week without crediting my tweet. <laughs> uh, sales of the Grayson uh, collections went through the roof. Yeah. They didn't even cut me in on that. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, more importantly, Nicholas Scott, probably like I didn't really do anything, but just post her picture. Oh man. <sighs> yeah. That was a time. I don't even remember when that was. That could have been two months ago for all I know at this point. Like <laughs> time is just so immaterial. Yeah, it is. Uh, but, but I'm glad that, you know, it provided an educational sur surface. Uh, uh, you know, you were able to, to introduce people, you know, help them take their first step into a larger world uh, <laughs> in, in which uh, people know and obsess over Dick Grayson's uh, thick donk. <laughs> yeah. to, to steal a term from will nevin <laughs> nightwing's wagon was a phrase that uh nightwing's got a wagon that was a phrase that came up over and over and over again <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one i'll have to uh steal that from the youths um yeah. <laughs> uh, so did you watch any of uh comic-con at home uh i tried man i tried uh yeah as it went on, the amount of it I was watching continued to decrease. Like I gave it a good faith effort, but it's just, it was just, it just felt like work, man. It felt like a, a webinar for work at a certain point. I'm not enjoying this. I don't know. Did you get anything out of it? Uh, yeah, no. The, the only <laughs> panel I tried to watch was the new mutants panel. Um, and yeah, it was just, it felt like, like every awkward zoom call you've been on, but with, you know, some, some celebrities, um, yeah. you know, and, and two mutant, two, two minutes of, of new mutant, new, new mutants footage that, uh, that was the first man. I've been looking forward to that movie. And now, now I got to worry about two bears. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think it went very well just on the whole, um, I think they needed, there's some kind of spontaneity maybe would have, would have helped. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything you can do if everyone's just at home watching it from a desk. Like maybe it's just like that, you know, the, 
in-person interactions is always going to be why you're at a con like regardless yeah. you know being you want to be in the room not watching video of the room like there's always been videos of, of panels here and there but how often do you watch those like not often you know somebody somebody said something i i forget where i saw this unfortunately but you know somebody said previous years yeah you'd be on social media looking for the grainy hall h footage or or whatever you know and the, and the trailer that doesn't leak for like two or three weeks and there was there was an exclusivity factor to it this I, like here's like i'm not i'm not shitting on them for trying like no yeah i don't, I don't want to either you know we should all be trying to figure out how to change the model in, in ways that are that will work and and maybe even help going forward in a post-vaccine world whatever the hell that looks like you know is this the solution should they try and replicate that for new york eh, you know maybe keep workshopping it yeah. but yeah. also don't hold new york this year I, I know i don't like the and the job at center where new york happens i think is still being used as potentially a hospital at the moment like oh I they never shut that down okay i don't know if they have or not uh mm -hmm. It, it was recently, though, that it was still being, yeah. yeah. I don't think they're doing New York. I mean, I can't, under any circumstances, see that happening. I, I don't think the, the social distancing rules will allow. I don't think you'll be able to get, I mean, the, the exclusive, no more than 100 people in a, in a space, that would be an exclusive convention. Yeah. Well, not to, not yeah. to mention the fact that, you know, we've got this like uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, they've all gone in together on this like super long, like if you're from X state and it's like 36 states and also like Puerto Rico and DC, you've got a quarantine for two weeks before you even like set foot in, in New York, uh, you know, oh, yeah. New Jersey or whatever. So right there, that that's, that's a, a, a very reasonable right now, uh, you know, bar to access. <laughs> So. Yeah, well, that yeah, that limits your guests. I mean, that's the like even yeah like, a lot of guests you you'd have difficulty getting to New York under those they have to quarantine. Like I don't know who's going to do that to sit on a panel for an hour and a half. You know. Yeah. I don't see that happening. Yeah. Ah, oh, boy. Weird times, man. Weird times. Crazy times. Yeah. I I mean, just kind of in general, what what do you what do you miss about? About the con experience you know you've you've been to your fair share of them and certainly the big ones yeah uh seeing people i mean that's the easiest one it's just like friends you don't get to there i mean i didn't i didn't even think about it or like register but there's just people i know from cons like that mm -hmm. I, I will probably only ever see at a con like and obviously i'm not seeing them right now um and then looking forward to them has been a big thing like i don't like i work from home generally so my life didn't change uh with the quarantine too much on a daily basis, but there was always the next trip coming up, like sure. to just look forward to. And without that, like it's been, that's when the routine really started to hammer me. It's like when I didn't have San Diego as a break to look, look towards, um, that's been tough. Really miss that. Yeah. We were actually, Matt and I, uh, we're planning on going to Baltimore this year. We we're going to start doing roadshow cons. <laughs> and like, right when things started ramping up, I was like, Man, I want to go to C two E two next year. Yeah, I I was gonna to go to Heroes Con. I mean, that was I've never heard any like everyone's Heroes Con is amazing. Like everyone talks about how amazing it was. I've never been able to go just because living on the West Coast, it was always too much time off work to make the trip, and, and it was just hard. You know, this is yeah. gonna be the year, and and that one hurt. Um, 
but ba- I went to Baltimore last year for a day though. And that was fantastic. I really love that con. I thought it was great. It was like after New York. So it felt like, uh, felt like the day after a wedding where people are just kind of hanging out, relaced, you know, have, like having little... brunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like a brunch con. <laughs> Didn't feel too intense. It was, it was nice. It was a really cool vibe. For years, everyone who worked, everyone else who worked at the comic shop that I worked at, and most of our regular customers would go to Baltimore. And every year, Baltimore fell on the opening weekend of the theater I worked at. So I could never go away because just in case anything went wrong, you needed the IT guy around. Oh, man. And this, in, but now I work at a different theater and it was fine. Like, okay. And they moved Baltimore a little later. And as then, because it, it used to be early September for a number of years. And now it's like, all right. And now we're going. Yeah. I really liked it being after New York and, and that late in the year. It was really nice. It was a really nice, uh, sort of like one last, one last con before the season kind of shut down. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool. I, I bought a lot of stuff there. I guess that's true of every con, though, right? <laughs> Exclusive to that one. True. Uh, I bought these, me- like, uh, Lego minifigs of a bunch of DC characters, and I had them, like, out on the counter when I got home, and my wife saw them and was just like, oh, cool, you got those for free, huh? And I had to be like, no, I uh, exchanged money for these. <laughs> like, I want- that's how badly I wanted them. Like, they were not giving them out. They're, they're those like late there's those minifigures you only ever see at cons and yeah. and may not actually be lego <laughs> yeah i don't think they're like i don't know how sanctioned they are they're probably some sort of copyright violation yeah. but but there you go there, there's an ambush bug minifigure <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh man um do you have a favorite con story do i yes uh man i must uh, i'm trying to think of i always i want to think of something like absolutely out like something that i experienced you mean mm-hmm. um okay this is a good one the first time i went to san diego uh i was i'd never been there before i'd been to san diego but i'd never been to the con uh and the first thing i scheduled was an interview with uh vita ayala at the vault nice. booth so I'm, I'm speeding in and I couldn't find a hotel. Like I didn't decide to go to the con until late. So I'm staying in Imperial beach, which is down near the border. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good drive in. I'm speeding in and I realized about halfway in that what I thought was moisture. Like I, after I got out of the shower, what I thought was moisturizer was a soap was oil of Olay body wash that I'd applied all over my arms and, and face. Um, and I'd done this before actually like with the same body wash and I, and it made me break out in hives. So I needed to get water um, to wash it off of me before I could arrive, you know, so I wouldn't break out in hives. So I'm speeding in late with a bottle of water, just dumping it all over myself to wash the soap off my arm. So I won't be late for this interview, uh, panicked and screaming. And I made it to the interview and I've never told anyone that story until right now. <laughs> no, no one, no one was the wiser. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We got an exclusive. Uh, yeah. I feel like most people's favorite con story is like, I met Jack Kirby and it was magical. (laughs) We shook hands and he told me, keep going. You'll make it. (laughs) No, no. Yeah. Mine's also actually, I think closer to yours than it is to, to a, you know, I met Jack Kirby. So you're you're in, you know, I, I once got accidentally someone's turned around and they're 
big anime I guess, sword or wings or whatever, whacked me in the face, glasses fell off, and I am blind as a bat. So it became, you know, Velma Dinkley jinkies. I can't see anything without my glasses. Oh, no. Crawling around on the floor of the Javits Center trying to find my glasses. So, yeah. Fun times. There's all, there were a ton. I was, this was my first year at New York, and I was shocked at how many people were just on the ground a lot at that con. <laughs> like, just laying just, there. Just like, sitting there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was, like, a lot of ground people. And I was, I, you think in New York you don't want to do that. Like, you don't want to be on the ground. Javits Center always looked fairly clean when I was yeah. there. But, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy that I asked about favorite con stories, and you guys both told these. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was just gonna be like, uh, we watched Simon Bisley get drunk a bunch at a show, and that was fun. <laughs> that was a no, good one. <laughs> we both had these, just like, yeah, horribly embarrassing, near disasters. I don't know. I mean, I like a lot of the concept blends together for me. I don't. I was on. I saw last year at San Diego. I saw a panel, and I'll forget somebody who was on it. But it was uh, Gilbert Hernandez, uh, Kurt Busick um paul levitt and the cartoonist set i think talking about the silver age jimmy olsen comics uh and that was amazing that was absolutely am- that was just a great 50 minute conversation between a bunch of legends talking about one of the uh highlights of, of wild superman but uh yeah no wild superman so it's like an hour-long discussion of man kurt swan's art was great also superman comics were Superman was such a jerk to Jimmy Olsen all the time. Or like listing all the different things he turned into. Jimmy Olsen was turned into at a certain point. Oh, Turtle Boy Olsen. Yeah, the turtle's what I think of first too of that list. (laughs) Uh, By by the way, just a quick random aside, that that Fraction Lieber Jimmy Olsen series was incredible. So good. So good. Yeah, it, it's it was it was excellent. It was such an interesting thing to see it set next to uh, Rooka and Perkins' Lois Lane, which was excellent in a completely different way. Yeah, it the Jimmy also that's like how to do what a masterclass and how to do a totally irreverent comic. Yeah, <laughs> and do it well. My favorite bit was the uh, where he he comes out of the water like James Bond and takes off his wetsuit and he's wearing a tuxedo and he goes, he goes to a party, a cocktail hour, and then he goes back to the water, takes off his tuxedo and he's wearing a wetsuit. <laughs> I, I was tweeting about it. And Steve Lieber said that fraction calls that the rarely seen reverse Goldfinger. <laughs> I personally don't know how the, the panel of Bruce Wayne, Woosey, so hungry yeah. didn't become a meme <laughs> because that is just oh the most wonderfully irreverent batman i've read in a long time uh yeah there's so many just good uh you could just pull out individual panels like and just they stand alone hilariously like uh there's that one of of lois looking horrified and jimmy looking sweaty where she's like you sure did Create some content, buddy. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and 
Just there's like, another one in that same issue where like she goes to um i think she had like a vape pen or something like that and he smacks it out of her hand and he's like miss lane vaping is for teens teens <laughs> <laughs> and the, i forget his name but it was the character that was basically a youtube star um oh uh, was that, was that Tim, like, timmy olsen timmy olsen <laughs> yeah <laughs> huh? yeah and, oh man and it found some way to use Dexstar in this weird series. And it's like, oh, it's Dexstar. I- I'm a sucker for cats. Sue me. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was great. And Gorilla City, the, the use is a Gorilla City. Mm-hmm. And the Porcadillo. Oh, man. The criminal that wears Crocs. Uh, anyway. Oh, Metamorpho as a diaper. Not a diaper, <laughs> but a... Cod piece. I don't know what it was, but it was covering Jimmy's loins. It certainly looked <laughs> yes. like a diaper, but yes. <laughs> it was diaper-esque. Yeah. I don't know if it had the functionality of a diaper. But... <laughs> let's not hope let's hope not for Rex's sake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and Jim Corrigan, not that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But uh yeah. So I, I don't know if this was just an earlier in the pandemic thing and 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 certainly uh, again, looking behind you, uh, you know, maybe not, but I, I do feel like one of the things that you are eternally doing is bagging and boarding books. Jesus. So, yeah. Yeah. My question to you is how's your back? Oh, uh, so, well, no, here's the thing. I only do six a day. That's why it seems like it's going on forever. <laughs> but, uh, what this is, this actually has to do with moving. So it kind of bring us full circle. Um, yeah. Be, last time I moved, I had nothing but cardboard long boxes with, with like really cheap bags and boards. And it was like, it was pretty nerve wracking. Just the, everything got here. Okay. But like some of it, I don't know. It was close. It was close calls. And I know I'm going to move again. Uh, it's just like the nature of my wife's job mm-hmm. um, where we'll have to move again. So I'm like in the process of moving everything to these like plastic crates. Nice. Um, with like my light bags and boards, which are like sturdier. Um, yeah, so I do six of those a night <laughs> and enshrine them forever in these plastic crates that should be easy to pick up, move, store, and like not damage the books. Uh, but yeah, this is, I don't know when this project will end, if it ever ends. It may never end. I don't know. But uh, it is just something I deal with. Well, it, just to give you some motivation, you could race against uh, my, my dear friend Matthew here, who's been trying to convert his shed into a uh, comic storage room for. <laughs> Quite some time. Six years. <laughs> okay. hey, you've on... made you've made progress this year. You've made yes. significant progress. Yes. Is it going to be climate controlled? Like what's... yes. Okay. That's the plan. Is right now the it, it's a freestanding garage. the The whole trick is I need to put up a, a prefab shed to move all the crap in the garage into the shed so I can insulate drywall put in the climate control and then the gorilla racks for all the long boxes. And where are you in this process? You haven't done any of that? No, I mean, well, I've, we cleared most of this. We had a ton of like scrubby trees and bushes in our yard and we had all of that taken down and we have the shed that we just need to assemble. Once that's done, then the drywalling and all of that stuff I, I have people. My my in-laws do stuff like that. Like literally my, my father-in-law and my wife's brother-in-law, I guess that would be. 
Because I don't know what that makes it. You know what that makes him to me? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they they like they're professionals at that. So I will provide the materials, and they will provide the labor. Cool. That seems. I mean, I don't know. I really. I find this relaxing. That doesn't sound too relaxing. But the bag and boarding for me, I find relaxing. The six six issues a night, or sometimes more. You know. But, um, once it's done, then it's going to be the, the the like organizing my entire collection, which to some people would sound like dull work, but to me is absolutely exciting. Finally, be able to have everything in some semblance of order, not just from within a box, but from box to box, and to get a real good inventory of where I stand on my runs of Batman and Detective is very exciting. Uh, look, I, yeah, that's my goal as well, to have an inventory that I can reference, like, but I don't know if it's possible. I just don't know if it's, has anyone ever successfully pulled that off? I've never heard of it. <laughs> Everyone seems to be in the process of doing that all the time and never finishing, you know. I, I get I get caught up on bagging and boarding, and then the like my weekly polls from my my shop just like pile up again. Exactly, all in like the free comic book day bags that they came in. Right. Uh, yeah, I have so many of those bags. Yeah, I'm good with the the new stuff because I get the, my shop gives me bags and boards with my books, but it's con stuff and oh, they're having a sale with all of the. The, the dollar boxes are fill one of those free comic book day bags for 25 bucks. Cram as many books as you can in there. Those bags just sit there. That's <laughs> oh, part of uh, it though. It's yeah. part of the, it's part of the, it's comes with the hobby. Like if you, if you didn't like that on some level, we wouldn't be involved. You know, that no is true. Uh, has, has moving at all kind of, made you pare down or, or change your, your collecting habits at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, so if you notice the shelf is not full, like there's like a gap in it. Yes. Uh, I'm glad about that. Like I'm very happy. <laughs> I'm very happy that shelf's not full. No, it definitely has. I don't, I've gotten, I've gotten rid of a lot of comics, um, that I used to have that I just don't like it. You think twice about everything you bring into your house. I think when you move a lot, like every collectible, I used to collect, I still collect vinyl albums, but I used to buy them at a much like one or two a month. And now I'm down to like four or five a year. You know, it's the same way with comics. Like, I don't know how many I buy a month, but my goal is always at the end of the year to not bring in, uh, more new books than I've gotten rid of, you know, like, uh, I just don't think there's ever been a year where I've wanted, wanted to keep them, the vast majority of the new things I bought, you know, like I'm, it's not, I'm not upset I bought them, but like, cause I like to read physical comics and have them around like, but uh, like to keep them for the long haul, I've definitely changed that, that inclination to like, just keep everything I buy. Like this is a comic I liked. I have to keep it. Like, I don't really think that way as much. Mm -hmm. um, just carry like, like we live on the, th my, this room I'm in with all the comics is on the third floor of a townhouse in DC. And they're like, they're narrow and tall, you know, mm -hmm. carry like eight long boxes up that and you will forever change the way you think about collecting paper comics. Like, if you survive it, you know, that was a really sweaty day. Like, People forget how heavy paper is. <laughs> yeah, but then you also don't need to buy kettlebells because there's your, <laughs> there's your quad workout right there. <laughs> yeah. I could just lift these, these plastic crate, these boxes. 
Ah, oh, man. What's in your, uh, what's in your to read pile right now? I normally what's ask guests what they're reading, but I imagine, you know, <laughs> you just sort of wave your arms around and go all yeah. of it. <laughs> uh, so I'm slowly, I'm almost at the end of it. I'm slowly going through love and rockets. Um, hmm. I, I had, I had a pile of those volumes forever and I started reading them. I was like, Oh, love and rockets in the time of COVID-19 um, was the, that, that turn of phrase was like my impetus for starting reading them. Now I'm down to one book. Um, in between that I've been reading, I'm trying to get into manga, read more manga. And um, I've started with Akira and I have Pluto by Urasawa up next. And these are all things that were actually recommended in that reading list we were talking about that, that um, and then I have, uh, I could keep going and going, by the way. So like, <laughs> I, have, I wasn't uh, going to stop you. <laughs> this, uh, this 2000 AD book that Grant Morrison did, uh, Zenith. Yes. I, yeah. I have those hardcovers waiting to be cracked. I have an omnibus of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics by Laird and Eastman, which I've never read. Mm. And I have Midnight Special by J. Michael Straczynski and Gary Frank. So. Uh, that's the next up. Those are all the next steps in my to read pile right now. All right. Well, uh, Zach, listen, as we're, as we're winding down, uh, how can people uh, follow you and, and, you know, back next door and all that good stuff. Uh, Comics bookcase on Twitter and Instagram. It should in the bio on Instagram, there's a link directly to the Kickstarter and the pin tweet on my, uh, my uh, Twitter account is also to the Kickstarter, or you can just search next door. Um, on kickstarter to find it should come right up awesome thanks so much uh, zach thanks so much for uh, coming back on the show yeah thanks for having me great great talking uh, comic storage i'm always available <laughs> to do that by the way <laughs> uh tune in next week when we talk to uh insert guest name here about filing cabinets as comic storage now <laughs> that's it for this week's show as a reminder, WMQ&A and WMQ Comics are now part of the Xavier Files media empire, meaning you can find all our great comics coverage, along with some of the best X-Men and Marvel criticism around, at XavierFiles.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at XavierFiles.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. Where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. And a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones and Match Club podcasts, Robert Secundus from DocsTalks at XavierFiles.com, Scott Madrinsky from Mojoswork.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Len M. from Lands Vids. You can follow WMQ Comics and Xavier Files on Twitter and Facebook. And you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you our best content every week in your inbox, plus sneak peeks at what's ahead and an early look at our Sunday editorials. And until next week, in the immortal words of Abraham Lincoln, be excellent to each other. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.